My name is Erin Weideman, and you are listening to Heroes for Her. This series features candid conversations with real women who strive to balance their professional acumen with their personal values. Join me as I interview positive female role models who are working hard, loving others, and inspiring the next generation of girls to serve their unique purpose. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Heroes for Her. My guest today is Elizabeth Schenkel. Elizabeth's story is incredible, everybody. She has been actively involved in Christian ministry on three different continents for the past almost 40 years, which is amazing. From 1974 to 1996, she worked alongside her husband, Eric, to plant a church and launch an elementary and junior high school in Massachusetts for 11 years after that. Till 2007, she and her husband worked and lived in Central Asia, and we'll talk all about that today. She moved to France in 2007 and then on to Turkey, where she ministered and served in North Africa, the Middle East, the Turkic and Persian world. In April 2012, she and her family moved to Orlando, where Eric served as the executive director of Jesus Film Project. They've got five kids, three grandkids, there's so much to talk about. I'm just going to welcome you. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's a joy to be with you. So it was wonderful to meet you in San Diego just a couple of months ago. We were at the Jesus Film Briefing uh, in Carlsbad, and I got a chance to kind of read up and find out more about the person that you are and just the wife and mom and everything the Lord has been having you do. Um, I know more about your childhood, I'm sure, than most people. Would you just give us sort of an introduction, let people know, you know, a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up, and what early childhood was like? Well, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, my dad was a physics professor at University of Wisconsin. And my mom, they met in grad, graduate school. So my mom was also a physicist, although um, she was a full-time mom at that point. Um, and they... they they struggled. Um, my mom struggled with mental illness. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't super happy, happy all the time. But Madison is a great town. And in many ways, I had a wonderful childhood. So you became a follower of Jesus in your teens. And I read recently in a blog post for Jesus Film that you referenced Psalm 23, verse 5, and you explained that when you decided to follow Jesus, and you might have been in high school, you sort of looked forward to the time where you would be this mature believer and experience a, you know, a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus, and you imagined that it was this blessed, peaceful state, and it would just be great at all times. And obviously, I'm, I'm laughing right now because I'm watching you smile, but that's, that's not the path that God walked you through, and he really showed you throughout your journey how he works in all sorts of experiences, not, you know, some good, some bad, but definitely both. And would you say that's accurate? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I, I think the thing is, when I was a kid, a uh, teenager, you know, I mean, that, that's the cool thing about teenagers, actually. I look at myself looking back over the years, and I realized that when God saw me, he, he saw me as, in many ways, as an adult, you know, a person who is responsible for their decisions, um, to me, that's a lot of adulthood. And so I was 15, but but God took me very seriously. And um, and that enabled me to take myself maybe more seriously. But I what I anticipated was a time when somehow within myself, I would be able to be peaceful and calm and, 
you know, and have the resources within myself, almost if you extend that out to its logical conclusion, that at that point, I wouldn't need God, you know? Oh, yeah, that'd <laughs> and, be amazing. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that that is definitely contrary to my experience. <laughs> I always need God, <laughs> you know, every every minute of every day. <laughs> so what were those? I love that. What were those early years like? So you give your life to the Lord. You're 15 years old. What did your study of scripture look like? I mean, was it mentors that came alongside you? Like, how did Jesus become real for you in those early years? Because obviously they're a precursor to stepping into things like church planting and ministry and living as a missionary for many years. So what were those early years like, you know, as you were just feeling your way through faith for the first time? Well, I was blessed to have some some mentors early on. Um, and, you know, I, I lived in a place at that point in Madison, and I haven't been back there in a long time, there weren't a whole lot of believers, um, at least not, not the circles I was hanging out in. Um, but God was faithful to send around people who could really help me along the way. And, and I had my eyes open for that. And I was praying for that. I, I knew I needed help. And, um, you know, God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud and give, gives grace to the humble. And so, I mean, I would encourage anybody who's new in their walk with Jesus or just feeling that sense of oh my gosh, I really don't have my act together <laughs> the way I'd like to. Um, you know, I guess we can all put ourselves in that basket at some point. But, um, you know, if when we ask for help, he's faithful to send us the people that we need into our lives. They don't always look the way we think they ought to look or the way we anticipate they might look, but they are there. And um, so God took real good care of me. I was very determined to spend time with the Lord every day, quietly, um, in my own, you know, I would get up early and and spend at least a half hour, you know, praying and reading the word. And and I, I do think that's huge. That discipline is, is a huge help at anyone, for anyone, anywhere along the line. Well, I think it's cool to, to hear that you started that so early, where it's like, that's the, the most, and first probably practical thing you could do. You're going, okay, I'm gonna follow Jesus. What does this mean? I literally had this conversation with my four-year-old daughter today in the car where, you know, because we're talking about following Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means sitting quietly, waiting for his voice. But a lot of his words and what he wants to tell you and teach you live inside the words. So if you're not spending time studying the Bible and making sure you're interacting with Jesus' words and teachings every single day, you know, it's very easy to, to get bogged down by the messages and everything that's going on in the world that you're just going to miss what he has to tell you. So it's cool to hear that's that right. you started out on that path. Very cool. Yeah, where, that's right. Where did um where did you meet? Like, where did Eric come into the picture? And you guys have been married for a long time and you've been in ministry together doing a lot of different things. But what like when did you guys meet? Will you just tell the story of how y'all came together? Well, we we met um, when I was. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a sophomore in college. So I was young uh, and he was a senior in college. We didn't go to the same school. He was in the Northeast and I was, um, he was at Harvard. I was at Duke. And um, it's interesting though. We, we went to a, we both separately went to a, a summer discipleship program in the mountains of North Carolina. It was like a camp really um, a discipleship camp. And um Neither of us were kind of in the market. Uh, my parents had just separated 
uh, it was a very difficult time for me. I was kind of feeling cynical about marriage and um, I, I really wasn't in the market, you know, I had been earlier and, um, but, uh, this great guy, you know, sort of surfaced and, um, we got to know each other. We just kind of watched each other really because dating wasn't allowed in the camp. And by the end of the summer, we both felt like, oh my gosh, I think this is it. We had become really, really close friends. And, um, I always said I wanted to marry my best friend. And so, that's what I did. I ended up marrying the guy. And so what did, I mean, how did you guys come together? Because you're separated by many miles. So when you got married, like, what was the decision about where are we going to live and what are we going to do just at that early time? Because it's probably hard doing it, you know, from so far, so far away. Well, yeah, we we definitely had a, um, a distance relationship. Uh, lots of lots of time on the phone. There was no internet. So we wrote snail mail letters yeah, every day so to romantic. each other. I love it. Yeah, I still have them all. I have a big stack oh. of, of letters. It was fun. Um, and uh, I think I, we spent eight weeks together the summer that we met, and we got married the following summer, having spent all together two weeks together after Perfect. that eight weeks <laughs> ended. So That's it was awesome. crazy. I, love well, we, it. I don't know that I can recommend what we did. <laughs> Although we did, you know, we, we made sure that we had a pastor who was counseling us during that time. Uh, we, you know, checked with both sets of parents and um, everybody was gung-ho about the idea. So I actually hadn't graduated from college. I transferred to another school and moved up to the Northeast because by that time, um the group of people he was associated with had decided to plant this church. So that's how we got involved in the church plant. We were kids. <laughs> we were very young. That's so awesome. God doesn't need experts in any one situation. Um, but okay, so you move up there and you start working on this church plant together with other people. What was that process like for you being so young, being newly married? I'm curious. Well, um, it was an adventure. I would say my life with Eric Schenkel has been an adventure. <laughs> I would say the same about Brent Weideman. We talk about that yeah, a lot. Yeah. It's like that no. Greatest Showman song, Walking a Tightrope, where it's all I, an adventure. <laughs> so he I sings so that song and cries all the time. Oh my gosh, I so identified with that movie. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's it's like a, a miracle on the edge of a disaster. And um, that that was our life. Um, we were just really committed to the idea of planning a church where there weren't a lot of churches. And that was the Boston area and particularly the town that we were in. And so um, we, we wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And that was the time um, when, you know, the, the Jesus movement was in full swing and there were a lot of people coming off of drugs and, you know, there was just a lot of need on the streets. So we had a lot of people come to Christ right on the streets of Cambridge um, it was very exciting. Now, how did you, so the church gets planted. Are you both, I mean, staffing it full time? Where did, where did the idea for, you know, starting a school? Cause that's a whole different undertaking. And as a teacher, I can appreciate like starting a school from nothing. So will you talk about just yeah. the convergence, I guess, of those two things and them being sort of in relationship to each other and the timing on it? Well, it was interesting. I, I think what happened was we had a lot of young people that got married and started having kids. Yeah. And then, you know, education came up. And, and we had this kind of unusual church. It was an unusual church. A lot of Harvard grads, a lot of, if you didn't go to Harvard, you went to Yale or Wellesley or, you know, Duke or, you know, these were high powered, uh, very well educated men and women. 
And so we kind of looked at all of our gift sets and said, well, the, we, you know, if you needed to build a building, this would be a terrible group of people. Yes. <laughs> you, know, you don't have any plumbers, you don't have any electricians, you know. Um, but, but we had a lot of educators. And so we just thought this, this is our niche. We really prayed a lot about it, um, how, to, how to make a difference in that community. And basically the school has, um, has grown into a school that really very well serves kids with special needs as well as uh, mainstream um, kids. So it's, it's, it's really fun because we were, we were all able to contribute our gifting to some very meaningful situations and uh, meet some needs that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been as well met. Well, I think what's really cool about it is, you know, when you plant a church and it and it begins to thrive and then you, you know, you start a school and it gets a few years under its belt and it's innovating and it's doing things in the community that are different. It's creating this legacy that can sort of sustain itself and continue on, which the Lord will obviously go and, you know, use you to do different things, right? Once it gets to be a place where it's functioning, it doesn't need you as often. So I'm curious, like, where did... When did the transition come from, okay, we're planting this church, we're going to start this school, and now we're going to move out of the country and into a totally different mission field? Like, when did that opportunity present itself? Were you and Eric on board with it together, you know, as soon as it happened? And how did you take that leap? And what was it like to transition? Because now you're a family, and I, I believe it wasn't just the two of you. Right. No, but, yeah. Eric um, Eric really felt a sense of calling to go back back to the university to go back and get um, some more education. And so he took actually two master's degrees ultimately and a, and a doctorate in, in the study of religion at Harvard. And um, he was studying missiology, um, church history, and uh, ended up needing for the sake of the program that he was in, needing to pick a, a second world religion to study. And he, he picked Islamic studies just because he liked the guy who was the head of the department. Um, And that ended up being an eye-opening experience for both of us. You know, he was was the one in graduate school. By that time, we had five kids. Um, I was working at the school. Uh, We were still pastoring, and he was in graduate school. And I'm, you know, we're going on our dates to keep our marriage Marriage alive, right? Yeah. And and he'd be telling me all about, oh, my gosh, this lecture, that book, this – article, you know, and, and we both became intrigued with the Muslim world and realized there are literally millions of people out there that really have never heard the gospel, which is hard as an American. Although these days, I mean, I would say there are many, many more people in the U.S. now than at that time that have really never heard the gospel. But we, we really started both to feel a, a push toward mission and toward leaving for our next we knew we knew we'd kind of timed out we love our community in arlington we're still in such close touch they really supported us through all of our adventures um they're our dearest friends um but it was time for us to kind of pop out the top of that and hand it off to somebody else with different gifts and so uh as we considered that we realized uh we thought maybe this is it. We're, we're meant to go overseas. So it was really something that we, I would say Eric's always a couple, generally a couple steps ahead of me um, in terms, maybe in terms of his willingness, 
but I tend to hear the Lord right alongside. It's just I struggle a little more with, oh my gosh, what is this really going to look like? Gosh, I so, feel like our, our marriages just kind of mirror each other because it makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Like he's quick to jump on things and I'm the more discerning one, but that's why the Lord put us together. Um, that's it. Gosh, that's so cool. So you so you pick up the family, you guys move overseas. What was that early time like? And I know, I mean, your family did experience some some real danger um, and and was subject to a violent attack while you were there. And, all, and I would love for you to share that story in a second. But before we get there, can you just talk a little bit about that transition? Because here you are. I mean, you're a wife, but you're the mother of several children. You're in a new place. You know, you've got this, you know, this heart for missions and making sure that people that need to hear the gospel are going to hear the gospel. And it's not as safe as it is to live here. So how were those early days, not just being, you know, someone along with a partner in ministry, but as a mom of all these little ones? Yeah, it was tough. Um, I have to say, leaving our community in Arlington was one of the hardest things I've ever done. We were in our mid-40s. You know, this was not a convenient time. And it was tough for our kids, too. Um, they all now say it was the best thing that we ever did. Um, they were thrilled that we did it. But at the time, it was very difficult, very taxing. And um, and getting over there was scary because um, you didn't have the safety nets that we have in the U.S. The medical community was not... Um, well-developed or strong. Um, we were so far away from everyone we knew. We were functioning constantly in a second language, which was Russian, which is not, I mean, we were working away at it, but initially um, it was it was tough. I'm, I'm not going to say it wasn't tough. On the other hand, in terms of day-to-day -day satisfaction, I just put my feet on the floor and feel like, well, I'm serving Jesus, you know, just getting up and being here and praying for these people. At least I'm doing something, you know, in the world. So um, it was it was an exciting time. We we laughed more than we've ever laughed. Um, I probably cried quite a lot <laughs> on occasion, um, but uh, but there was a lot of grace on the whole endeavor. More and, grace than I could have anticipated, really. And I want to ask about that too. And I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm excited to hear and have you explain to people how God showed up after what happened to you happened. But first, will you kind of walk us through? So you you move there, you get settled, and I don't know how many years into it it is, but um, I watched a video the other day, and and I've heard this story many times and read a lot about it. But um, this call to obedience doesn't come without sacrifice, and in your case, a lot of suffering and a lot of um, a lot of scary stuff happens. So I'll, I'll stop talking. And would you just for everybody listening who have not heard this story, just unpack what happened to you as a missionary? Well, we had been there four years. We had four really productive years. We were working alongside Jesus film teams um, in a country that was um, not particularly welcoming to the gospel. We'll put it that way. Um, and so all our work was under uh, all our Christian work was underground. And, um, so uh, things were going well, and we were starting out on our actually fifth year uh, when uh, in October, on October the 4th, actually, at about three in the morning, our home was invaded and uh, by four, as near as we can tell, four men uh, who looked like something out of an Al-Qaeda training film. Uh, they were carrying hatchets, which we knew was the weapon of choice for assassinations in, in the country we were in. And... Um, 
we were lying in bed and they just, they just, two guys, one on one side of the bed, one on the other, started wailing on us with uh, the blunt side of the metal hatchets and um, fractured my skull three times, broke a lot of bones for Eric, broke other bones on, on me. And uh, we both thought, uh, this is it, we're going we're gonna to die. They're going to kill us. And um, the girls, by that time, our sons were all in the U.S., uh, either working or going to school, and our, our daughters were with us. Um, they were 12 and 8 at the time. And so uh, these guys um, beat on us until they stopped. It looked like I was dead on the floor. Um, Eric was up and had managed to wrestle the hatchet out of the hand of the guy that was attacking him and, and chase them out of the house. And um, we, I, I was in bad enough shape. They said I needed to be airlifted out of the country. So I was uh, taken to Vienna, Austria in ICU there. Um, but we had, we had 24 hours in country in the local hospital which was very difficult. We didn't know who had done this. We didn't know if it was government. We didn't know if it was a radical fringe group. That seems more likely. But you just don't know in that kind of environment. And uh, and we didn't know when they would come back and finish us off. And so we were all pretty thoroughly terrified. And I'll never forget, um, after we were finally on this evacuation, little Learjet, uh, the, the girls and Eric and I were all on the jet. I was on a, you know, a cot, and they were sitting and um, the jet took off, and as it took off, I really heard the Lord speak. Uh, and he said, you're not finished here. You need to come back. And I, uh, strangely enough, in that moment of both tremendous relief to get out of there, because I was scared to death, li- almost literally, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and in and out of consciousness, I mean, I was in tough, tough shape. At the same time, I heard his voice, and I received that with joy. I just thought, oh, my goodness, I have my marching orders, you know. He so told was, me what to uh, do, right? <laughs> he told me what to do, awesome. which is, what do we do now, you know? Um, it was such a bizarre situation. And this was pre-9-11, so we didn't have any, like, folder for this kind of thing. This <laughs> right. was outside our, our uh, expectations. So um, we did. Eric went back. Uh, a month later and and kind of went back and forth between the US I was living with dear friends in from the church that we had planted they all came around us and took care of us and uh, the girls and I were in the states for 10 months and then we went back and I'll tell you what that attack bought us so much cred oh I <laughs> bet street, I mean it was like night and day, you know, before we were the rich Americans. We oh, didn't coming know in we to preach and, and share the gospel yeah. with these like, under. Yeah, totally. You know, very politely received, but probably with no small amount of maybe resentment or at least suspicion. And after that, every word we said, they took. I mean, it was amazing. So God just used that to open doors. Now, going, open- going back a little bit, and I, I do want to camp here for just a second. So did you, I mean, how, what was the conversation like with your girls to explain? I mean, obviously, like you heard the voice of the Lord. We're going back. We have unfinished business. God has work for us to do here. And it was, it feels like it was so matter of fact for you. But as a mom of daughters, like what did that, how did that conversation go with these two sweethearts who, clearly knew mom's in danger she's hurt 
you know, but we're going back. Like, what did it even look like for them? Well, um, two things. First of all, we went back um, provisionally. Mm -hmm. If if we had not been able to take it, if it had been really difficult, we would not have stayed. I mean, we were gonna we weren't gonna be stupid, but it made sense to me psychologically that you, at some point you've got to get back on the horse. You have to face your fear, and that I felt it would be healthier for them to go back and have to face it than to never go back and have it be sort of the boogeyman in the closet because it was a terrifying experience for them as well. Um, they were traumatized. So, um, so we, I mean, we, we talked it all through. We asked them, you know, are you willing, what do you think? And they were eager to go back. That was their home. You know, they were, they were eight and four when we moved there. They both spoke Russian. Um, that was their context. Their friends were there. They were eager to go back. So um, it wasn't, we didn't have to talk them into that. We did have to talk the rest of the family into that. Nobody living in the U.S., with with very Got few it. exceptions, right. uh, yeah. thought it was a good idea. I mean, really, uh, it it was pretty out there um, from from everybody else's perspective. But the girls were totally on board. They awesome. wanted to go back. Um, well, it just it's cool to hear you, and it's it it's not a. You know, it's not just this big question mark, like, oh, is this the right decision? Like, you you heard the voice of the Lord. He told you what to do. So it it makes it sort of, I don't know, He like you said, he gave you the marching orders. It wasn't like, well, I think we're supposed to go back or we, it feels like we have things to do. Like, God was very clear about what the trajectory he had you on. And as a family, it, just, it was just another yes to that to, in, in terms of obedience. Um, when you got back, you said ministry sort of radically shifted because now you had this life experience um, that could help you relate to people so much in such a different way. Um, so what was that like? I mean, what were, were like, were you doing home visits? Like, how are you meeting with people, praying with people? Where did you see a difference? Well, let, let me first say that, um, yes, I heard the Lord. But um, also one of, my, one of our kind of bywords is the, the will of God grows on you. Um, so there, there was a lot of confirmation um, that, that that was the right thing to do. I don't want to sound like somebody that go, kind of goes off half cocked, you sure. know, like, oh, I heard God, because that's a little dangerous, sure. right? <laughs> Potentially. Because I mean, I mean, I, I trust God fully myself, not so much, you know, so we can get it wrong. Uh, and, and, and so I don't want to say, oh, my gosh, then I knew because, of course, we need to test the things that the Lord that we think the Lord has said so to us. Said. But um, so I just wanted to add that. But uh, in terms of going back, it was uh, I would say it was a, a not so much a difference in what we were doing but in the quality of relationships that we had. So we were doing all the same things, but the relationships just dove deep. So that women that I had been working with suddenly were coming to me and saying, can I get with you once a week for you know, counseling or prayer or discipling? Or can you, could we really, and it wasn't just function, that sounds sort of functional, it was, it was at a heart level. It was that, whereas before, their hearts were closed. Afterwards, their hearts were open. And I, you know, I felt so undeserving of that because I hadn't changed really other than, you know, I was like, we're just gone through lot, something a lot weaker. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I couldn't pick up a casserole, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. and I could no longer do mathematics, you know, like there were things about me that had changed, but, but my basic personality was the same. And, and, um, 
and yet now now they were coming to to both of us and and with with a level of respect and uh, openness that we hadn't seen before. It's just so the relationships cool. were altogether different. And the fruit, you know, when we would speak to people, the impact of our words was was so much greater. Weighty, yeah. Yes, yes. And all the more because, I, ca- I mean, I came back and I was scarred and, you know, I was limping and Eric was um, weak, weakened from his experience as well, you know. So we came, we came back uh, in, a, in a weakened condition. I'll tell you, our appreciation for Paul, the Apostle Paul's life and testimony grew leaps and bounds. Um, you know, all the stuff he went through that he kept going. I, I just found myself, he became like my best bud. I just really appreciate the Apostle Paul. What a guy. How do you feel? I do too. Um, how do you feel like that trial prepared you for, you know, moving back to the States after so many years overseas and now spending a lot of time working and writing and doing different, you know, Jesus film projects and all the things that you have going on on the research writing side? How do you feel like that trial and that season of missionary work prepared you for the work that you've been doing in recent years? That's a good question. Um, I th- I think that when you live in a place such as we lived in, you become used to things not working well. You become used to not having your way. Um, you become used to hardship and difficulties. And so um, coming, coming back to the U.S., I think maybe um, you have a more endurance uh, than, than maybe we would otherwise have. Life is difficult. I don't care where you live. Life is difficult. It's just in the U.S. we tend to resent that. We think that it's unfair or something's gone awry with the universe when hardship comes across our path. And um, I don't feel that way anymore. I think hardship is kind of, that's how it is. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So, um, you know, I think the struggle for me really coming back is to maintain that same quality of connection with the Lord. There's something about getting up in a dangerous place that you know you need God, and you'll press through anything to be in touch with him every day. Here in the U.S., it's very easy to lapse into kind of, I don't know, pseudo-spirituality almost, um, where so you life say is the comfortable, right, right? Like things are yes. things are good day to day, and they yes. feel okay. So I don't I don't necessarily need to talk to the Lord. So I feel here it's in some ways more of a fight to maintain that closeness with Jesus, um, and I'm I'm desperate to do that. I don't ever want to lose that. What would you say? So we have a lot of listeners who are moms. We have a lot of young women listening, teenage girls. What would you say to them? I mean, in in thinking through. The, the entirety of your story up to this point and going so many places and doing things, you know, here at home and abroad for Jesus, but ultimately understanding that, you know, spending time with him, listening for his voice, studying the word, um, you know, is of paramount importance for day to day. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. What would you say to the young women and the moms that are listening who who want to create space in their busy lives here, you know, in the States, most of our listeners are here, 
um, to be able to do that and prioritize that. And I love that the season that you're in now, like you are back here and just all of the barriers to that, to getting in real connection and relationship with the Lord via that day-to-day communication, constantly praying. What advice do you have for young women who want to do that, but are just struggling because it's so easy to struggle in that? Yeah. Well, I think one thing is discipline is our friend. I think we, t- we tend to think of discipline well, as being a bad word. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It does. And and sometimes we say, oh, I'm not a disciplined person. Well, yes, you are potentially. You just have to decide, you know, and really pray and ask God to help you to be more disciplined about certain things and open your eyes. I used to, um, when I was younger, I would go on a retreat every year. Um, I would take generally take the kids with me because Eric was busy. Um, but I would, the purpose of my weekend would be to evaluate my quiet time, my time with God. Was it fresh still? Was it, you know, was I doing well or not doing well or what was working? What wasn't working and, and, and kind of do a jump start. And so I would reevaluate every year how that was going. That's, that's the, the starting point of my day. Um, that's, that's where I guard my heart and keep my motives on, on track. Um, that's where I can repent because we all need to repent all the time. You know, we all, none of us are perfect. That's rule number one. We're not, you know, we, we expect one day we will be, but that's only when we see Jesus face to face. Uh, until then it's a struggle. And so I think embracing discipline as your friend and saying, yes, I'm, I'm going to go to bed earlier so I can get up earlier, or I'm going to take my lunch hour, or I'm going to, you know, be creative. In different seasons of life, it looks different. Um, when I was, you know, having having my babies, uh, there were times when my, my quiet time, as it were, took place at 2.30 in the morning when I was nursing my little one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I would just spend the time praying and meditating on a, on a passage of scripture or something, because I, I couldn't get up early. I needed all the sleep I could get, but, but it was quiet that time, you know, in the early morning hours. And so I would have my quiet time then. So be creative, That's good. you know? Yeah. Um, gosh, your story is so powerful. Um, it is time to wrap up. I can't believe I ran out of time, but we, I could literally talk to you forever. Um, we do something at the end of every episode. It's called the scoop. I'm going to ask you three rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> okay, no pressure. The first question, obviously, Heroes for Her is the name of this podcast. When you were a little girl, who was your hero? Laura Ingalls Wilder. Yes, so good. <laughs> Second question, what is a piece of advice you've received that has impacted your life in a powerful way? Uh, spend time with God every day. It's from when I first came to know the Lord. Last question. If you could have a secret superpower, what would it be? Oh, I'd probably want to be invisible. <laughs> I love that. Less people would talk to me. They didn't know I was around. <laughs> so good. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here to share so much with us. There's so much wisdom and just your story is so impacting. I know it's going to touch people. Where is the best place for listeners to connect with you online, find out more about what you're doing, the Jesus Film Project, everything that you guys have going on? Uh, jesusfilm.org has uh, all of our products and if you dig deep enough you can find me through there <laughs> <laughs> perfect <laughs> there's thank- a phone number if, if, if nothing else <laughs> thank you guys thank you so much for being here elizabeth it was awesome
Thank you.